I tell you everything. And you are very fortunate that you can trust me and I'm not doing But wouldn't you things. say that if, wouldn't you tell me I could trust you if I you, mean, this is my couldn't? point. You need to be able to check so that you don't have to wonder. Welcome to Pennies and Popcorn, the show about real money lessons from the world of TV and movies. With your hosts, Carla Cash and Robert Davidson. A couple of personal finance geeks and movie lovers. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Pennies and Popcorn. Robert, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the not-so-smash hit Good Girls, the NBC television program that I think ran for four seasons from 2018 to 2021. Yeah, you know, it is a network show, and with a couple of notable exceptions, like The Office, I generally feel like network shows are less awesome than like Netflix shows, Hulu shows, HBO shows, Showtime shows, like... I don't know what it is about network television, but there's like a very specific feel and vibe to it that always just feels like a little bit on the cornier side and a little bit on the like not as not as awesome side. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's absolutely a different target market. market. Uh, the audience is a little different and the marketing that they're using to fund their advertising is probably a little bit different too. You also have the fixed duration issue, right? On the streaming platforms, you can make a show however long you want. It can fit the content and it can be edited perfectly. Whereas you got to fill your time slot and no more. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the issue is that there, it just feels like there's some filler. What I was going to point out about Good Girls is that it started out at a decent time slot, but didn't get that great of viewership. And then they moved it, I think to Sunday nights, pretty late on Sunday nights. And uh, that didn't help viewership either but i'm guessing it wasn't that expensive of a show to produce so they kept it going yeah i do think it was cuter than i was expecting it to be i enjoyed i enjoyed it but yeah we started watching it because we specifically thought it would make a good episode for pennies and popcorn i wanted to do bad boys but with will smith and all didn't seem like the right time Uh so we're doing good girls instead yay so spoiler alert the show is about three women, not really girls, who are not super good. Do you want to do like a really brief plot summary? Yeah. So the show covers these three women played by uh, Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman. You may not know those names, but you probably actually know these actresses. You definitely do. Christina Hendricks was on Mad Men. She, I think she played Joan, the redhead mm-hmm. of The Office. Uh, Retta, you probably know her as playing Donna Meagle from Parks and Recreation. Yep. And then Mae Whitman, you probably know her as a child actress. I think this is the first time she has had a role that she started in as an adult. Um, you you probably know her from Parenthood or from being George Michael's really bland and boring girlfriend from Arrested Development. Yeah, I'm pretty sure her name was also Anne in Arrested Development. And it's Annie in Good Girls. So she does a lot of Anne work. So the three women are Annie, Beth, and Ruby. And they're all having a bit of financial stress in their lives. And so the show was about their path to attempt to resolve that. They end up turning to a life of crime in order to resolve their financial difficulties. That's right. This this episode that we're putting out today is only about their initial pilot episode of the program. 
we have watched the entirety of season one, so we, we kind of know where it's going, but mm-hmm. there are four full seasons that have been put out, and I don't really know where it goes or how good of a program it is. But the, the pilot episode in season one, were they were okay. Yeah, it's not too... It's not too bad for a network show. I will put it that way. I also like um, Matthew Lillard, who plays Christina Hendricks' husband in the show, who you probably know primarily from things like Scream and Scooby-Doo, where he <laughs> plays Shaggy, um, which I did see in researching for this episode on his bio that apparently he's like really sick of talking about Scream. That's the thing that he gets asked about the most like in interviews and stuff and... He kind of feels sort of like um, Anna Klumsky about my girl. Like she just wants to move on from that. It's a blip on the radar for the actors and for us as the consumers. Like that's all we know them from. And so when we see them, we're like, oh, you're the guy from Scream. But apparently he would like to be a little bit more than that. So I have to confess, I've never seen Scream. What? Gosh, I wish I could say that. I hated it. And I hate those masks. To this day, they absolutely <laughs> terrify me. Yeah, everything about that movie is awful, and I wish I could erase it from my brain. Isn't there I a mean, remake coming out? To be clear, it's a good horror movie if you're into horror movies. I am like the ultimate lightweight when it comes to horror movies. I just I don't want to see people get murdered by serial killers and have that be the whole focus of the show. I don't like it. Not into it. All right. Well, you heard it here first. This year, our Halloween episode spectacle will be on screen. <laughs> oh, God. Don't make me watch it again. Uh, not a, No, not excited. Okay, well, well, speaking of spooky things that happen in the night or in the dark, we should probably just jump into our first clip because it is all about Beth, played by Christina Hendricks, being a bit in the dark about her family's financial situation. What are you doing in the dark? Guess I'm used to it after 20 years. What does that mean? It means your child bride wears very expensive underwear. What happened to us? Who's was stupid. Who's was stupid and... Doesn't even matter. Why do we have three mortgages that we haven't paid? Why do our credit cards all have advances on them and we have hardly anything in our accounts? All right, look, I made a few bad decisions at work. Oh my God. I tried to fix it with a couple investments and I should have been, yeah, I should have been more careful. I just, I got panicked. We have four children. I know. Are we going to lose this house? Look, I I dropped the ball, that's all. Are we going to lose the house? No! I mean, I don't know. Oh, that's so comforting. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like the first honest thing he's said in a while. Yeah, that's true. So, as you can tell from the scene, this is the character Beth, played by Christina Hendricks, confronting her husband about lots of things. One, she has discovered that he is having an affair and in the process of kind of like digging in to try to figure out what the heck's going on in their lives, she has also gone through a lot of financial papers and seen that they've taken out multiple mortgages on the house, which she apparently didn't know anything about. They're really deep into credit card debt. They have basically no money to their names. Like their net worth is deep into the Yeah, re- I believe she was at the salon and her credit card was declined when she was partially through getting her procedure done. So... Uh, I think that was mortifying for her and caused her to dig a little bit deeper into what's going on. Yeah, the procedure, P.S., was a Brazilian wax. So that was real fun for her. They uh, kicked her out in the middle of it (laughs) because her card was declined. 
So yeah, just an awful position for poor Beth to be in, finding out one terrible secret after another. Infidelity, both in the marriage and infidelity financially as well. So they are behind on multiple mortgages. It sounds like mortgages she may not have even been aware of. Can they do anything? So they're definitely in a really tough spot. I think if I were advising to them, if they came to me as a friend and asked for advice, I would tell them, you've got to downsize. Like you guys are living in a really nice house, I should say, in the, in the TV show. It's portrayed as a very big, beautiful home that's in a really nice neighborhood. And I think these guys are just living a lie. They're trying to live a life that they genuinely can't afford. And when you're in that awful situation, you've got to bite the bullet and start living a life that you can actually afford, right? So the husband is a car salesman. He owns a dealership. And he seems to still have money coming in the door so they can afford some kind of lifestyle. They just clearly can't afford the one that they're in. So this is all about honesty in a, in a relationship, right? You've got to confront your spouse. You've got to confront your demons. And you've got to face the reality that you find yourself in. I think it's easy for us to sit here and say that they should downsize and sell their home. It's definitely what they should be doing. I think the reality of all of these changes coming up all at once probably makes it a lot harder to decide to move forward with. Right. If you if you see the uh, the wave cresting and getting ready to crash on top of you, then you can make the responsible choice to move on. But she's got Beth has gotten totally blindsided. And Dean, the husband, he definitely hasn't taken a mature enough approach about this to, you know, loop in Beth or, or up, attempt to deal with it in any kind of responsible way at all. So it seems unlikely that they would actually be able to move quickly on that. But you're right. The right answer is definitely they could move into a house half that size, you know, live somewhere slightly less optimal, and surely they'd be able to get back on track. You know, I think this is such an important lesson for people to learn because it is so hard to dial your lifestyle back, right? When you are used to a certain level of luxury, it is really hard to go backwards and get down to a reduced standard of living. It is definitely doable and people are so adaptable. Like you will have adapted in less time than you think, but it is not easy to like get that boat turned around. It's going to be really, really painful. They're going to have to lose face in front of their friends and family and be straight with them about what's going on. I mean, it, I don't mean to suggest that like, oh, it's easy peasy. You just sell your ass and like downgrade your lifestyle. I know how hard it is. But one, that's why you don't let your lifestyle get up to a point you can't afford in the first place because it is really hard to turn the ship around. But two, like that's the only realistic option that they have as evidenced by the show where the only other option that they consider is crime. So, Well, I do think it's terrible that Dean's approach to... It sounds like he made some business mistakes, whatever that means. He made some investments that didn't pay off. I don't know what investment you think you're going to make that is going to provide you some sort of solid, significant return over a really short time horizon that's going to allow you to offset some sort of losses like that. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. It sounds like he was like, oh, let me, maybe I can go buy some cryptocurrency and hope it jumps in value and sell sell it or something. Like, what do you think he was doing? I think probably something along those lines or equally 
insane. Yeah, I mean, he's probably this is this is just pure gambling. It is not any better for you to make a quote investment in some like random company that you have no real information on why or whether it's going to succeed or a cryptocurrency is definitely a very popular way of making these quote investments right now that you know you're just hoping will go up over a short period of time. But yeah, it seems like he got himself into a situation where he needed money pretty quickly at work to keep his business going and he just like bought into some really risky investments aka he gambled i mean he might as well have gone to the casino yeah i was gonna say it just there's no such thing as a quick turnaround or any investment that is going to pay you anything that's notable and reliable Um, i mean of course it happens people can get lucky there are lots of bitcoin billionaires out in the world today living real lives but those people gambled like they had no reliable information that bitcoin would go up like crazy the way that it that it has exactly that's what i was trying to say there is no investment product out there with a guaranteed return over the short term that is is a meaningful investment return yeah um one of the things that caught me by surprise was the the idea that they had multiple mortgages that were behind and that it sounded like Beth was a little bit taken off guard about the fact that there were even multiple mortgages. In the real world, is that something that can happen? So you can take out a mortgage without your spouse co-signing with you. In fact, that's not a crazy thing to do because a lot of times sure. if you have a spouse that doesn't have great credit, it makes sense to leave them off of the mortgage altogether so you guys can get a lower interest rate between the two of you. So yeah, it is certainly possible to take out a mortgage and like not have the spouse be involved with it. If it's a second mortgage, so you're basically talking about like a home equity line of credit when you're already in the house, I think things get a little more complicated if you guys are living there as a married couple together. It probably is going to depend on what state you're in and exactly what the circumstances are. But generally speaking, from what I have seen, it is required to get the spouse to at least sign something saying, yeah, this is cool with me. I live here too. This is my primary residence too. We like live here together as a married couple and I'm like giving this my blessing. Okay. Well, we'll talk more about Beth's being in the dark about the finances. The whole premise of the show though is that you know, Ruby, Beth, and Annie are having some financial issues, and we can't play a good clip about all of them. So let's dive in briefly into the story and the background of some of these other characters. So you've got Ruby, played by Retta. She works as a waitress. Her husband is a security guard, and they have a pretty tragic situation. They have a yeah. daughter who has some sort of uh, kidney disease, and she needs some substantial medical care. They show a scene where she is in. Um, some really crowded medical waiting room and the doctor just doesn't seem like he's all that together. He doesn't offer all the treatment options. He is reluctant to propose things that are expensive solutions, though they may be the best solutions for her needs. And basically they need a whole bunch of money to help uh, pay for a, a drug that they think may give her a chance to have the lifestyle that every kid would want to have. And ultimately she probably needs a kidney transplant as well. Yeah, they really are in a very difficult position that every parent, you know, hopes will never happen to them. Yeah, they're watching their kid have to suffer and they don't have the best health insurance. It seems like they do have some kind of health insurance, but it's apparently not providing them with the level of care that their daughter really needs. So 
a little bit of a tangent here into the concept of, you know, medical costs in America. We're not going to get too deep in the weeds, but from my perspective, it is a very serious problem that we face in this country that our medical care is very expensive. The costs are wildly unpredictable. You go to the doctor, you leave, you have no idea how much the bill is going to be when it shows up in your mailbox sometime after. And oftentimes it's a lot. So we looked up a few statistics on this. Um, The average American spends $5,000 out of pocket on medical costs every year, which seems like a really high number to me. And then, of course, you have people who are paying way more than the average. So the statistics on this are a little bit hard to pin down. But from what I saw, somewhere in the range of like 66% of bankruptcies that are filed each year have some kind of contributing factor of a medical bill. Now, maybe it wasn't like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical debt, but it was enough to push people over the edge and, and get them into bankruptcy, which is a really tough statistic. That doesn't surprise me. I, when I think about surprise expenses that you're just not prepared for, many of them are optional or you can, you know, your car breaks down, you can take the bus or, you know, you can get a new job that doesn't require you to drive anywhere or ride a bike. There, there are cost-effective alternatives. If you have a serious health problem, there aren't always cost-effective alternatives, uh, you know, if you want to keep living. I think the, yeah. the one <laughs> the one that exists sometimes that people don't think about very often is, is the option for medical tourism. I don't think that was a realistic option for uh, Ruby here and her family, but if you had something like a, a surgery that you needed to get done, you might be able to go to another country with really good, you know, medical facilities where the cost of living isn't quite as much as it is in the United States. And, you know, there's a effectively arbitrage, right? Yeah. Medical tourism is a good option that I think a lot more people should consider than, than actually do consider it here in the, the U.S. But yeah, I mean, we could talk for a long time about the cost of health insurance and health care procedures in the United States because they are pretty out of control. You could be forced to, you know, spend your life savings or forced to go deep into debt and ultimately drive yourself into bankruptcy. I mean, every single one of us walking around in America today has that threat hanging over our head. We never know if we're going to be hit by a bus or cancer or any other kind of surprise illness that'll just completely knock our financial trajectories off their course and send us into a tailspin. Like you said, we could do a whole episode, I think, on uh, the U.S. medical system. One point you did make that I I do want to highlight is how you never know what the price tag is going to be for most of these things. Last year, you fell and uh, broke a bone in your hand. Um, We had no idea what it was going to cost to get the surgery done to address it. Like there was just no estimate. We asked. We asked several times and several different folks, and we really couldn't get a clear answer. We knew we needed to get it done, and we were in a position to take care of it, but so many other folks aren't in that position. So really unfortunate and Whatever kind of medical system we have in the future, I think it would be greatly improved if there were clarity of cost going in. Yeah. Just to put a cap on that. So the medical procedure that this girl in the show ultimately needs is a kidney transplant. I tried to get some kind of estimate of what a kidney transplant would cost here in the United States. And you just flat can't get any kind of an answer. Everything you see is, 
It depends on the kind of coverage that you have. It depends on where you live. It depends on where you're having the procedure done. Like there, these are factors that should not make that much of a difference, right? Like it should cost what it costs to provide a kidney transplant. And like, you just have no idea. There's no getting a, an estimate in the United States. So let's move on to our third major character, and that's Annie. Annie works at the Fine and Frugal grocery store, and she is in the middle of a custody battle with her ex-husband. So they've got a daughter who is, I guess, middle school age or so, and the husband, or ex-husband, husband, the ex-husband lets Annie know that he's intending to uh, take her to court to try to change their custody, custody agreement because he wants more time with the daughter. Yeah, so she doesn't want to give up her daughter. She has full custody right now, and she likes it that way. They have a really close, very sweet bond in the show. And yeah, she just doesn't... The daughter wants to stay with her, and Annie really wants the daughter to stay with her. And yeah, so they're they're duking it out. They're getting the lawyers involved. So I think the only note that I have here is just that lawyers are expensive. <laughs> I say that as a lawyer. They charge an awful lot of money, and if there is ever a scenario in which you can work something out with whoever it is that you're fighting with on your own without getting a lawyer involved, that is almost certainly the way to go. If you're in a custody battle and you've got a dad who wants more time with the kid, like it's it's especially crazy to me in the context of the show because the mom and the ex seem to get along very well. Like They have a good friendship, it seems, and... They really ought to be able to sit down, make a plan. I understand she's your daughter too. You know, we can work something out. She really loves living with me. Let's take that into account. But like, let's come up with a schedule that works for everybody, including our daughter. Yeah, I don't think they needed to get the courts involved to change their custody arrangement from a practical standpoint. Yeah, nobody's moving out of state. Like they live close to each other. This is just a question of like how much time dad gets with daughter. So, yeah, if there's ever a way to work something out without getting the lawyers involved, it's a good thing to do. Agreed. So Beth, Ruby, Annie, all having some financial troubles, all kind of popping up fairly urgently in the moment. And they decide that the right thing to do, the best way to go deal with their problems is not to take any of the solutions that that we've suggested, but instead to go rob the grocery store where Annie works. They decide uh, that there should be about $30,000 in the safe at the grocery store. They can get in, not get caught by the cameras, go get their money and split it three ways and go be set to deal with their financial problems. However, things didn't work out quite as they expected. They're missing the point. We just won half a million dollars. We didn't win anything. Half a mil, Beatrice. We didn't win it. We stole it. $30,000. They damn sure follow up on half a million dollars. What do we do? Nothing. We divide it up and we sit on it until we can come up with a way to get rid of it quietly without looking like, you know, criminals. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, surprise. Instead of walking away with 30K, they walk away with $500,000. So, that's quite the difference. It's a little more than they were expecting. Yeah, their uh, armed robbery did work out, right? They were able to go in with their fake guns and uh, get into the safe mm-hmm. and walk away with all the cash that was there. But yeah, when they counted it, it was 
you know, nearly you know, almost 20 times what they thought it was going to be. Yeah. So do you think they're right? Do you think the cops would not have followed up on 30, but definitely will follow up with 500? So I think the police have a difficult role to play when theft is involved, right? I think most of us know that if somebody um, runs by you on the street and steals a $10 bill out of your hand, the police aren't going to do anything about it. They're just not going to be able to go find that perpetrator and stop them. If somebody breaks into your car, you can get them to write a police report, but they're not going to go hunt down this this criminal. So there is some kind of scale at which the police get substantially involved and some kind of scale where they don't. We have a friend who had uh, some, some stuff stolen from his house. Uh, he had a neighbor across the street who had one of those ring doorbell cameras and they were able to identify uh, the car that was used and the, the robbery and they had some sort of tablet that they could you know, find my phone kind of application and were able to go identify exactly where all the stolen goods were. Basically, they had to solve the crime, take it to the police, <laughs> and then the police were then able to help them retrieve their belongings. But it's not as though there's some sort of division in the police task force to go after small crimes like that. They just don't have the resources or the, you know, it, you can't put a whole CSI team involved on a small crime. So the 30000 versus 500000 if your car gets stolen, there may be a little bit more effort. Like they're going to be able to look for that license plate and, and help you find it. There's a guy I work with who had his car stolen. A homeless person lived in it for a little while. But eventually they found the car and it was recovered and he got it back. Yeah. Um, the half million dollar theft. Uh, well, one, I don't know if the police would know that it was a half million dollar theft. Uh, it's not like they would have expected the grocery store to have that money. And probably these three women should have thought, something's a little bit off here with all this cash in this safe at the grocery store. I used right. to work at a grocery store. And, <laughs> you know, we would, whenever you had, I think, more than $500 or so uh, in your register, uh, there was some limit. You had to do a cash drop to bring it down below some threshold. And there weren't that many of those cash drops every day. If they had that much cash, they they basically would have like a, a armored vehicle coming way more often to come get the money mm-hmm. if that was the expectation for the amount of money that they would have. Yeah, well, as the episode unfolds, we learned that there is a reason that this grocery store has such an insane amount of money in their vault. And that's because they're doing some kind of shady money laundering type things. But at this point, they, I mean, I think they do question it. They, they say that oh, yeah. it, it seems pretty wild for the grocery store to have had this much cash on hand. But, I mean, like, what are their options at this point? They have it. What are they going to do? But I do think their assessment of 30 versus 500 is probably not that accurate because 30 is still a lot of money. Also, they did at least what appeared to be an armed robbery. They walked in there with guns that appeared to be real. They were actually one of... Uh, Beth's kids' toy guns, and they, like, colored in the little orange tip that, you know, gives it away as a fake gun. But, yeah, I mean, it's still a very serious crime to go in and commit an armed robbery. So I think the police would have been following up on this for sure. Oh, absolutely. how much money was involved. Yeah, I, I think there was the armed robbery aspect of this totally changes the nature of the police involvement. It's a much more dangerous and hazardous situation, so... Yeah, they, they have to know that the police are after them. Hopefully their plan to park around back and not be seen by the cameras and the masks that they wore were enough. But yeah, I, it's a little bit silly and naive to think that they're going to get away with it and not have a whole lot of scrutiny on what they were doing. They should have realized going into it that this is a really big deal. Yeah. I should also note for any would-be petty criminals out there, like 
in today's world, there are cameras everywhere. Like so, so many people have cameras somewhere in their house or outside of their house. And even if like the house you're robbing doesn't have it, like happened with your friend, there's a good chance that somebody across the street might have one. The odds of you getting caught are astronomically high these days. So not a good call. So they decided to commit this armed robbery with a goal of bringing home $30,000 or 10K a piece. Was it worth it for that? I mean, do you think that that money would have helped them and made a difference in their lives in the situations that we just presented? So if they had each taken home the $10,000 like they were expecting to, I think it would have made a pretty good dent for Annie, who's facing a legal custody battle. She could probably get a, a decent amount of legal help for ten grand. For Beth, who is very behind on her mortgage, I kind of think we don't have enough information to know because we don't know how big her mortgage was. We don't know how many months behind they are. But probably it would have made a good dent for sure. Yeah, I think I think it would have been enough for her to feel some sort of impact. It would have taken the heat down uh, quite a bit. Yeah. For Retta or Ruby, who's got a kid who needs treatment that we learn costs $10,000 a month for these like magical kidney pills. And ultimately they're going to need a kidney transplant. I don't know that it would have made that much of a difference. I Maybe in the real world, like the costs are not quite as astronomically high as they're presented to be in the show. But I don't know if that, like if the costs that they do talk about in the show are the actual costs that they're facing, then yeah, 10 grand is not going to make a dent. Like I understand she has the most on the line, right? She's got the most to lose by far. But I mean, it's not going to make that much of a difference for her. Yeah. In the show universe, it doesn't seem like it's really going to move the needle. It'll give her her daughter another month of those pills. Which again, is tragic and a terrible, like, just shows how crazy the American healthcare system is. But yeah, I think that's the reality that she's facing. Like, it's not going to be that helpful for her. So they get the five hundred thousand dollars, and you know Annie's attitude is, "We won the lottery, right?" <laughs> yeah. um, whereas Ruby says, oh, "Hold on, we should. Th- this isn't our money. This is not what we expected. This isn't what we signed up for. People are going to be looking for this." She says they should divide it up evenly and sit on it. What should they do with it? I mean, we were kicking this around earlier. Like, if you came home with some giant stash of cash and told me he'd stolen it. One, I don't, I don't know, I would be so torn. I don't know if I would turn you in or not. But assuming that I didn't... I would turn you in. <laughs> assuming that I didn't, I would just be absolutely terrified to spend even a dollar of it. First of all, there's like serial tracking numbers on dollars, right? Like that is a thing that could possibly get you caught. Also, just the fact that you have to have a legitimate source for income coming in. If you all of a sudden start spending insanely large amounts of money and your income can nowhere near account for that, like you're going to cause a lot of red flags. You could potentially get audited by the IRS. You could potentially get like flagged by the police. I mean, it is extremely risky. I would maybe be willing to spend like a hundred bucks a year of this stolen money. And I would just be way too terrified to spend any more than that, which of course defeats the whole purpose for these women who need cash now. Well, I I think if you get that money through those illicit gains, 
I still think that, yeah, Ruby's approach of we need to split this up and sit on it is totally right. I, I think she had the right instinct that there was somebody who might be looking for that money and who may have more incentive to solve that crime than the police do. Um, yeah, you can't go spend that money because there, if somebody comes asking for it and you can't pay back your share, and even if you can, I mean, you may be facing some, some pretty serious harm to yourself. Yeah, no question. Your family. That. So yeah. uh, there's that. And then the, the very point you made, you can't go spend it up like this. You need to have a way to, I mean, look, we all watch Breaking Bad, right? You got to go launder that money. Uh, you can't just take your minimum wage lifestyle and turn it into somebody who's got, you know, $167,000 to their name. Surprise. Yeah, I think I've said this before on the show, but you are supposed to pay taxes on criminally earned money. Like the IRS is not the police. The IRS just wants their cut. Income is income from whatever source derived. Like the IRS wants their taxes. So yeah, obviously these people have already gone pretty deep into the world of crime. And I'm sure some tax evasion is like just a footnote to them at this point. But they are absolutely supposed to be paying taxes on that money. So the 167 should not be a full 167. They should be giving some to the IRS. And of course, by doing that, they should find some sort of legitimate front for how they made it that, you know, quote unquote, launders the money makes it somewhat clean, at least. So what Beth does with her money is she goes and deals with her family's financial situation. Why don't we play this next clip where we hear what she's done? I'm going to need the pins and passcodes to the accounts, mortgage, bank, credit cards. Uh. It's too fast, too furious. It's the number two. You know, like the movie? I know it's a movie. That's for all of them. Yeah. I handled the mortgage. How'd you do that? I handled it because you couldn't. And this thing that we do where you bring home the bacon and I don't ask any questions, that's that's over. Too fast, too furious. <laughs> Man, I mean... At least they chose wisely for the password. Oh, yeah, that's a really solid password. So generally not a great idea to use the same password for every account. Um, also, what a terrible thing it is to have one spouse be completely in the dark about what is going on with the family's finances. Like it took her having her credit card declined and then taking this deep dive into their, you know, personal files to try to figure everything out, piece it together and realize what was going on. This is just not how a partnership should operate. I, I feel like we moved on without talking about Too Fast, Too Furious. I, I thought we were going to do like a mini episode on that. Was my research not productive? Oh my God. What, what is there to say about Too Fast, Too Furious? Like it's cars. That's, this is not like the whole movie is just cars driving around. I mean, it's one of Ludacris's best acting gigs. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. I... My apologies to Ludacris. I actually am a fan of his music. I don't know if he's like a good person in real life, but I like his music. <laughs> well, yeah, I think Too Fast, Too Furious, the fact that that movie came out in 2003 and it was still his <laughs> password like 15 years later. Yeah. yeah. He's clearly a fan. Yeah, big clearly time. A fan. Um, no, you're totally right about having a spouse not be in the know about money is not cool. And it's great that she came up with this uh, approach that said, these days are over, right? Like I'm, 
I'm getting involved and I'm, I'm taking responsibility and taking charge and not just relying on you to take care of everything. Yeah. I mean, this show is very much in the vein of female empowerment, which I think is awesome. Of course, like the way that they empower themselves is by breaking the law in pretty egregious, dangerous, terrible ways. So I wish that like it was a show about Christina Hendricks realizing, oh, hey, I could go work at an ad agency and be like a pretty awesome person in the ad world like she did in Mad Men. But yeah, I mean, these these women are very smart and they're very capable. They could totally have used all of these like organizational skills and their internal drive to succeed, their ambition. I mean, they could have done something really impressive with their with their lives instead of this. But, you know, I guess it makes for a fun heist show. So when we were first watching this, I feel like you were just incredulous at the idea that she wouldn't know that they had a couple of mortgage payments that were behind or the amount that had been spent on the credit card. It's not that I'm incredulous. I understand that it happens a lot, way more than it should. It's just that I personally cannot wrap my head around how anybody like lets that happen. And I think, so in our relationship, you are much more like Beth and I am much more like Dean. I am the one who like checks our accounts all the time. I know within like a few hundred dollars how much we have in like every account. I have a pretty good grasp on how much we have coming in the door and how much we have going out the door every month. Not a pretty good grasp. I have a great grasp on how much we have coming in and how much we have going out every month. So I just cannot even imagine being in a relationship where I just like, eh, I'm just not going to worry about that. Like what? I don't know. But I mean, you don't check it all the time. You kind of trust me to do that. Yeah. No, I'm totally like Beth, right? I don't go look at our bank statements or, you know, log into our accounts all the time. I have you for that. I mean, but how do you, how do you handle the stress? Like, what if I, what if I was pulling a Dean on you? What if I was cheating on you behind your back and like squirreling money away into a secret account that I didn't tell you about? I mean, if you're not checking, you can't know that I'm not doing that. No, you're right. I I know that you're not doing that (laughs) because I check, like, I know how much money comes in from your paychecks and I know how much we spend. Well, I'm, I'm glad you trust that I'm not taking money and doing anything <laughs> behind your back with it. Uh, I'm glad, glad that you decided to take a, a verify and not trust uh, sort of approach. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think part of it depends on the level of financial stress you generally have in your life. So we have our act together. Our lifestyle choices are such that our income can easily support them. And so there's not anything unusual going on for me to be particularly worried about. If things were a lot tighter, I'd have to pay a whole lot more attention to exactly what we spent because there wouldn't be this ordinary surplus that we're sitting on that makes it to where I don't have to worry about whether or not I can go buy the name brand version of some product or if I have to get the generic version at the grocery store because we've got it covered. So I I take kind of a laid back approach, but you're right. Maybe I should stop trusting you. I don't know. I I don't know. Am I trustworthy? Am I not? These are things that you could check on if you just learned the passwords to our... Well, like, so that's the thing. Accounts. It sounds like Beth didn't even have the ability to access these tools. I mean, if the password was too fast, too furious, I'm sure he didn't choose that in like 2016 and has been rocking it for a couple of years. He's had it the whole time and she just <laughs> didn't know. I think that that might be part of their problem. 
surely she has an idea. It's not like she goes to the grocery store or goes to you know buy clothing for her kids and isn't aware. She doesn't have a mental calibration for what is reasonable for her to spend. Clearly she has that. I mean, she's there's some inertia, right? She started from some, some sort of place. So she's not living completely in the dark, just like I'm not living in the dark about our finances. She's well, just not wrapped up in the day-to-day details. And she's trusting that her partner is being honest with her about all areas of their relationship. And then I, I would imagine periodically she checks in, just like I periodically check in. But you don't have to check in because I just tell you things. Like I tell you all the time, like, oh, hey, we're... D- you know, this is doing great. And, oh, hey, I bought this. It cost this much. Like, I tell you everything. And you are very fortunate that you can trust me. And I'm not doing But wouldn't you things. say that if, wouldn't you tell me I could trust you if I you, mean, this is my couldn't? point. You need to be able to check so that you don't have to wonder. But yeah, like you and I are in such a great place. We have complete and total trust in one another. But no one should ever be in a situation where they don't have the ability to go check on their finances. And I say this primarily because like our relationship is a little bit flipped. I think by and large across at least American society, there are much more women like we see in the show who are kept in the dark by their spouses. And, you know, maybe they get like a like a weekly allowance or something. But yeah, like they just don't have a great grasp on exactly what's going on with their finances. They don't know if they're on track for a solid retirement. They don't know if they are going to be, you know, in terrible shape if they get hit by a big medical bill. So I don't know. I am extremely uptight about this kind of stuff. Yeah. What's the longest you think you've gone without looking at a bank statement or, you know, financial status for us? Well, let's see. How long have we been recording this podcast? No, I'm kidding. It's not that bad. Um, I would, I mean, when we were out hiking, it was very infrequent when we did our big backpacking trip in 2019 and we're walking across California, more or less. Yeah, but ordinary life. Ordinary life, maybe three, four days. Okay. So multiple times a week, you're getting in, looking at the details of like all of our accounts for the most part. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, it's, and I literally can't believe that you don't. I, I mean, mean, I can't believe it. I, I'm sure I've gone six months at a time without personally looking at everything. But I give you updates, so you you should. But that's my point. So did I'm sure Dean may have given uh, some updates to Beth, saying that Maybe. things are okay. All right, enough about us. Enough about <laughs> Beth and Dean. Let's move on to hear what happens with Annie because she takes her money and doesn't quite do the same thing as Beth. What is this? Turbo S. You know, it's similar to the model that doucheface Nancy has, but more features, more cylinders, you know, more cooler. Why don't you check under your seat? Yeah. Who are you, Oprah? You get a laptop, and you get a laptop, and you get a laptop. I don't get it. Uh, how to have fun? Yes, I can see that. No, how you have money for all this. Would you just let me worry about that? But who is the adult here? Mom. Who is the adult? Who's the adult? It's funny. We talked about how, like, this is the first time she's ever played an adult, and she's not <laughs> acting like it. Although, I do have to commend her choice in the Beastie Boys there. That seemed like the appropriate music for the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is Annie driving up to pick up her daughter from school in a Porsche Turbo S car. 
and giving her a pretty expensive laptop. It looks like some kind of Apple laptop. So probably somewhere in the range of like one to two thousand dollars, depending on what kind of model she got. So a Porsche Turbo S, brand new, costs about two hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Okay, so surely this is used for her to keep up with douche face Nancy. Yeah, so I think that's one of the most interesting things to talk about in this clip. So she says that she's trying to keep up with Doucheface Nancy. That is her ex-husband's new wife and so stepmom to her daughter. So this is Annie like really trying to keep up with Doucheface Nancy and impress her kid. And I think her kid has the appropriate response here. Like she's not bouncing up and down excited about this car. She's looking at her mom like, what the hell? Yesterday, you picked me up in this like old beater and told me we couldn't afford the laptop that I really needed for school. And today you're picking me up in this crazy expensive car and giving me like the highest end laptop that money can buy, or, you know, close to it. So yeah, I think the kid is exactly right. She's worried for the mom. And if I were that kid, I would not be satisfied with who was the adult here. Like I would, be, <laughs> I would be asking a lot more questions and be super worried about my mom. So I think the laptop is a totally reasonable purchase. And I did love the Oprah reference. I thought, yeah. that, I thought that was great. Um, yeah, I mean, the kid needs it. It's a tool. It'll last for a long time. I, I think it's a totally reasonable purchase. And her goal uh, was to get $10,000 so that she could pay for the, you know, her counsel in the custody battles. Uh, spending a little bit of the extra money that she didn't anticipate on a laptop that the kid needed is a totally responsible thing to do. The Porsche, uh, not so much. I think, I know, I, I suspect your opinion is that she had a car, it worked, it got her there the day before, she probably didn't need to get anything else. Um, it's funny, Beth's husband is a used car dealer, right? And there's some other scene in this first season where uh, he gives a car to somebody and the guy asks, is it new? And his response is, is it new to you? And like, he's right. Like a, a used car has a lot of value and can be really exciting and change up your life in an exciting, impactful, important way. And I feel like instead of getting a Porsche, she could have gotten a, a reasonable used sedan, something nice and sensible that would be reliable for years to come even though she had a car that functioned, it, it isn't that crazy to go get something like that. And if, if you buy it you know, from a from another person, you're probably not looking at a whole lot of, of substantial depreciation if for some reason you need to move that asset relatively quickly. Yeah, I'm just so, so not a car person. I just think, you know, they're point A to point B, giant wheelchairs more or less. And I don't know, I don't, I don't get the obsession with cars at all. So it seems like an you know, just abominable waste of money from my perspective. And yeah, I would have kept the old beater car, especially with the layer of criminality that we have to all this and like the need to not attract attention. But I mean, generally speaking, if she, if she had like won the lottery or gotten an inheritance or some other kind of legal windfall, I might support her getting a very, very reasonable, but reliable used car. But yeah, this Porsche is just completely indefensible. And I think she's falling prey to this thing that we've talked about before on the show of just, you know, the desire to impress people, the desire to keep up with the Joneses, have fancy appearances. And it's a powerful force. I sympathize with it completely. And we've all fallen victim to it ourselves. But 
to go to the extremes of a Porsche, like, oh man, it's just not a good call. Well, ultimately, we already talked about this. You can't spend that much money that quickly. Um, it's going to throw up some red flags, right? You're, you're sure. going to get caught. Um, the other thing is this could have been a life-changing sum of money for her. Annie works effectively a minimum wage job at a grocery store and struggles to make ends meet, right? Life is really financially tough for her. Um, I don't know why she couldn't hang on to that money and, you know, dribble it out over a decade and basically double her income over that time, right? There's a ton that she could have done with that instead of taking it and spending it immediately on this fancy car that's just going to make her feel good in the moment. Yeah. So let's move on to our final clip here where the three friends, Annie, Beth, and Ruby, have discovered by way of these scary dudes showing up at Beth's house with guns that this money didn't actually belong to the grocery store. It belonged to people who are doing a money laundering scheme and they would very much like their money back. Why don't you stop worrying about my business dealings and start figuring out how you're going to pay me my money back? We can get it back. Oh, that'd be great. Most of it. Sorry, what? So, some of it, for sure. <sighs> oh, but, like, you guys didn't spend a dime. How much, Annie? I don't know. I don't know. Probably spent, like, like, a hundred grand. What? So, yeah, this is Annie. That's Annie's voice there, admitting that she spent a hundred thousand dollars, and now she's got a scary guy with a gun in her face, like demanding everything back. And she spent a hundred out of her 167 K share. So chances are based on what she did and the other stuff she bought, she really spent more than a hundred K. Yeah. I mean, we see her with the, the laptop. She's buying a bunch of like really nice high end phones. She's got a lot of shopping bags lying around. We don't see exactly what's in all of them, but basically like she is going hog wild. So it just hurts me to to see her making those choices because, as you said, this really could have been a life changing sum for her. Not only she, so it, as you suggested, she could have like just kept it and slowly like used it in dribs and drabs over the years as it was necessary. She also could have invested like in going back to school or maybe starting a business, used it as something to generate legitimate income for her in the future because she really seems to hate her job at Fine and Frugal, the grocery store. So she could have used this as a catapult. Instead, she just has like a nicer hunk of metal to drive around in and impress her kid, which she didn't even do. The kid didn't care for like, I don't know, 30 seconds, like whiz bang, and then back to normal life. So, I mean, obviously they're caught up with these criminals and they got to pay them back, but we do have a moment to stop and reflect on how they use their $100,000 or their, their the $10,000 that they wanted to get. And let's, let's take a moment to debrief on whether people accomplished what they wanted to. So Beth had this mortgage debt. She had a uh, credit card debt. It sounds like she handled it, right? She took care of it because Dean couldn't. Yeah. It seems like she did a really good job and, uh, use the money very responsibly. Um, I don't know how she's going to get all that money back, but she did a reasonable thing and, and used it as intended. Yeah, and we saw Retta um, playing Ruby. She used the money to take her kid to a really nice medical facility where they actually got the care and attention that they had been 
just craving and desperately needing for such a long time. So that was an enormous relief from them. Her daughter is already starting to do like a little bit better. So yeah, I mean, I think um, Ruby made an excellent use of her money as well. She's also not going to be able to get that money back, but she spent it in a very wise and responsible way. Yeah. And then just Annie, um, I suppose she had enough left over to buy her um, legal advice, but maybe, maybe that wasn't, I'm going to go ahead and judge her pretty harshly for her use of funds. She made some really, really bad choices. Also, it seems very unrealistic that she would have been able to get this particular car and buy all these other gadgets for $100,000. We would be talking a very well-used Porsche Turbo S for her to be able to have gotten it well under 100 k and had enough left over for all those other gadgets and toys. So, yeah, seems pretty unrealistic. But even if she's telling the truth and that's what she paid for it, if she paid like 90 then, yeah, still a really epically terrible decision. So they owe this money to this guy. Should they just go rob another store? What's the right approach here? If I were in their shoes, I would just turn myself in. I would be terrified. I could not live with the guilt of being a criminal. I love not being a criminal. It's the best thing ever, right? You never have to like look over your shoulder. You never have to worry about getting caught for anything. You never have to worry about keeping your story straight. Not being a criminal is the best. It does seem easier. Highly recommended to everyone. But yeah, if I had gotten myself into a situation like that, the only way to turn it back around again is to take your lumps and like fix it. Go back to not being a criminal, you know, take your punishment for the thing you did and never do anything bad again. They're in a tough spot. Like this is why you don't commit crime. This is why you (laughs) don't get yourselves into these kinds of situations where you're weighing life and freedom and like hurting other people with more crime. I mean, it's just... It's, it, there are no good options at this point, except turning yourself in. All right. Well, um, if that's what they did, uh, I don't know how they turned this into a four-season uh, series, but <laughs> you know, I, I'm guessing that they take a little bit wilder after this first episode. As we know, throughout the first season, they, they continue to evolve deeper into their world of crime and try to figure out if, uh, if crime can actually pay. Yep. It's a fun little show. I would recommend watching it. The cast is fantastic. They all do a really, really great job. Even if the material is not top-notch, the cast makes it much closer to top-notch. So yeah, check it out. Don't do crime. Talk to your partner about the state of your finances. A downsize if you're uh, in some serious mortgage issues. Yeah. Yep. Those are our takeaways, guys. Well, thanks, everyone. Take care. Catch you next time.